Welcome to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast, where we support your quest for a happier, healthier, planet-friendly life that supports you, your family, and community. This show is produced by Go Green Locally, a nonprofit resource supporting eco-conscious choices at the local level. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with someone in our community who is a talented artist, who is a PhD in political science from Florence, Italy, who has a master's degree in anthropology from Edinburgh, Scotland, and who is teaching eco-art using natural materials. I'm talking with Zoe Bray. Zoe Bray is based in Reno, Nevada. Her practice focuses on painting and drawing from life and experimenting with unconventional approaches. She explores the boundaries between art and ethnography, engaging in questions of identity, representation, and human relations with nature. And for those who don't know what ethnography is, it is a scientific study of customs of individual peoples and cultures. Welcome to the show, Zoe. Thank you very much for inviting me, Jenny. I'm honored to be included on your fantastic podcast. Thank you. So please tell us a little more about your diverse background and how you felt yourself evolving into your current interest working with children on eco art. I grew up in different parts of Europe where I was lucky to spend most of my time outdoors, climbing trees, exploring the woods and swimming in rivers. And with my family, we lived in cities, but my parents were great about taking us out to discover our surroundings. Thanks to them, I was always free to wander about barefoot and just explore. And my parents would also take us to visit museums and churches, which were all crammed with art from different centuries. And they, many of them struck me by how much they featured the natural landscape. So I think I learned through this art and these artists' attention to details to also look closely at nature. For example, there was the work of the 16th century German painter Albrecht Dürer, who he would depict the blaze of grass and insects living in it. And then I would also, I was lucky to go and explore the cave paintings from Paleolithic times. You could walk into these caves in the mountains and discover the designs made by humans thousands of years ago. So I think all of this, looking at all this art helped to heighten my awareness and interest in the natural world. And in wanting to pay attention to it and understand it and just love it. So art basically brought me to engage with my natural environment and to feel connected with it. I then studied art in a traditional style atelier in Italy, which basically means we learned to draw and sculpt and paint from the live model. <clears throat> so to draw, we used charcoal and chalk, which are basically the most simple natural tools. And we learned to make our own oil paint by grinding earth pigments and also to make our own canvases and learn to distinguish quality fabric made from linen or cotton. So we learned not just the craft of art, but how art materials are, are made from real raw natural materials. And then when I came to live in Reno over 10 years ago, a couple of things struck me. One exceptionally positive, which is the proximity of the natural environment to the city. It's absolutely amazing how in less than 30 minutes drive from the city center, you can be in a mountain, swim in a river, or find yourself just blissfully alone in a forest or amongst the sagebrush. And yet soon I also realized how 
actually not that many people and especially children go out to this natural environment. And so as I began spending time with children in schools in Washoe County, it was striking to find out just how few children know their natural environment. For instance, some don't know the Truckee River or have ever even been to the mountains that you can see from the city. And the other thing that struck me was also how, despite this privileged proximity to nature, how seldom basic raw materials are used for making art. Here, art materials tend to be ready-made and synthetic and supplied by large chain stores, and not many of it is very good quality. And so as I began teaching art in various spaces, I got to see how the standard art lessons often involved a great deal of these ready-made store-bought things, like plastic pans, plastic masks, synthetic sparkles, which don't really leave room for imagination and creativity, or like, uh, restricts it a bit. But also it's there, these are things that are harmful to us and the environment because they are not made to last and simply disintegrate as microplastics and toxic gases. A couple of years ago, during COVID actually, when so many of us were stuck inside and children were increasingly put in front of screens, that's when I decided to develop my idea of eco-art. And the objective with this is to empower children and their families to make art in a more sustainable, grounded way, and in the process to familiarize them with the natural environment. Nice. That, wow, you've had just such a wonderful childhood and education. So I'm interested, what does eco-art mean to you? Well, eco-art is basically art that is ecological, meaning that it is art made with nature and knowledge of the natural environment and natural materials. It means working with simply what you find out there, for instance, with branches, rocks, leaves, earth. It also means art that's mindful of environmental impact and made in a way that is not harmful to us and our environment. And eco-art is about bringing together natural materials without depending on external artificial things, such as a synthetic glue or sticky tape, but rather to find creative solutions such as making knots or weaving or intertwining or working with gravity to balance things together or working with the temperatures, the sunlight, the shade and finding the colors that are naturally out there. And yeah. um, of course, yeah, often in my first lessons, some children are frustrated with the idea that they'll work with just what's there. Often they've learned to associate art with getting all these store-bought things, the bright paints and tubes, the glitter, and they ask me, I need sticky tape, I can't do without a stapler. And I encourage the children to wander around the area where we are. So I make a point of giving my lessons always outside. So whatever the weather. And we look around and find things and we discuss how we could use them. And pretty soon the kids realize there is so much that they can do with things right there, at literally at their feet. And it's really exciting to see how their imagination just soars off. And yeah, sure, the ground in Reno may not have the bright colors that you will find in a store, on a store-bought palette, but when you start looking and gathering things and arranging them in a certain way, the muted colors stand out. And the kids 
you start to see that. And they come up with the most extraordinary arrangements from finding leaves and fallen petals or the colors of rocks and figuring out very creative ways of working with them. And we're very lucky also the climate in Nevada with this bright, clear skies and strong sun, it creates these very interesting shadows. So you can work with all of that. And this is something that also the children are really good at, at picking out. And you see really the natural artists in them emerge in this context. And so in the process of doing this art outside, the children learn about their environment. So they can recognize the leaves from the different trees. They can name the plants, understand what's going on at different times of the year with the seasons or the positions of the sun. And so they, they also learn about how to interact with where they are and be wary of their presence. So for instance, you're just not stepping on a bug or just getting more of that sensitivity to their surroundings. So all in all, long, long answer to your question, eco-art, I guess, is a, it's a holistic approach to making art, taking into account your being in the environment. That's excellent. And would you say that it's uh, more focused on the experience of creating as opposed to like creating and holding on to something or do you encourage people to bring cameras to capture some of what they've created? Or is yes. that more in the experience? Yes, absolutely. So all of these things, definitely the most important is the experience, the process. Just, just focusing on what you're doing and enjoying that moment. And yes, they learn about the ephemerality of art in such a context that you, don't, you can't think about necessarily bringing this home with you. Right. It could maybe, but being open to just that is also art when something just is and then it's gone and you had that special moment. Sometimes we take pictures. At the same time, I've been, I've restrained myself from doing that because sometimes they, when you think about too much about the picture, then you focus on that and not so much on the moment and just the pleasure of what you're doing. You're already thinking about how you're going to get that snapshot. But yes, that is definitely one way of recording the artwork is made, taking a picture. That's wonderful. So what um, places do you gather together to to do these types of art? Is it in a, like near the river where there's maybe a beach and sand? Or is it in a park where you're around a lot of trees that you can gather from? Yes. So it depends who I'm working with. but. I I've offered workshops usually in parks or when I work with the school, it's in their playground. I'd like to try and get some field trips with the school kids, but also it's also the idea is also to just encourage to focus on where we are. We don't always have to go somewhere in order to have that experience. If we just hang on a second, look around where we are again and see it, you can see it differently and do new things there. The playground, even though then there might not be men, much vegetation in it, there's still hopefully ground, earth, and you can start to do do things right there. But otherwise, when I offer more public workshops, yes, I'll, I'll go to a park in town by the river. Definitely being by the Truckee is a favorite. 
that's wonderful. I think sometimes, um, I think I, as I look back on my own childhood, just having the opportunity to play in an environment where you can interact with those just different aspects of nature, it, it is such a blessing. So I think it, it sounds like a wonderful experience to really help them connect with just being in the moment and seeing and experiencing. So what might be some of the different types of projects that you like to share in your classes or experiences? So the first thing I initiate kids to is simply working with their hands at the beginning and their whole hand, not just their fingertips, because this is the fascinating thing I've observed with a lot of children. They tend to want to just touch with the tips of their fingers. So get them to rediscover the pleasure of getting their whole hands involved, getting them dirty, handling the raw materials, digging the earth, gathering the sticks and leaves, and just touching organic matter, feeling the moss and the bark of trees, the different textures, and smelling these things too. And it, it may sound like a simplistic activity, but it is surprising to see often how alien it is to, to many children who have been taught that earth is dirty to not be messy or more used to spending time with a digital device. And again, it's extraordinary to see often how at the beginning, beginning they have this reticence and then how quickly they get into it and get super creative. So the actual activities will depend on the time of the year. So for instance, in the fall, we a popular project is gathering these leaves of different colors and shapes and arranging them to make a picture whether it's an aesthetic design or an abstract image or a representation. And we do this on the ground, so we're on our knees, on all fours. And all uh, I've shown them how you can gather sap from a pine tree if there's one nearby, and that helps to stick the leaves more permanently to something, and we might find a piece of bark and use that as our canvas. And at the same time, when I'm doing these lessons, I show them... I always try to make references to the history of art and what other artists have done in the past or the present. And of course, the work of indigenous peoples in different places and times. For the leaf project, a favorite is the Renaissance artist, Giuseppe Arcimboldo, who he would assemble, he would make portraits of people assembling fruits and vegetables. Another lesson is making puppets. So there it becomes also applying your motor sensorial skills, how to figure out how to make the, a figure from sticks and pine cones and then using twine or yarn to make knots, hold it all together and then how to ha hang it. And if you're making more of a marionette, figuring out the how to work with gravity to make the puppets move. Another activity is digging the ground to make your own clay and your own paint again that depends on where we are but recently I was working in a playground where to the delight of the children we discovered there was a lot of iron in the earth so they went around with their magnets and actually picked out lots of iron filings it was extraordinary and then so they made their own glaze with it and painted their clay sculptures and I brought it to the kiln and the colors that came out after was, was, we just didn't know it would look like a certain way. Mm -hmm. So that was very exciting. Also, 
thanks actually to all the extraordinary snowstorms we've had recently. We've had a beautiful bounty of wood. <laughs> so we're burning the wood to make your own charcoal to draw with. So, you know, really seeing the process of how you make these tools yourself. This, the, this extended winter has been wonderful for working with snow and ice. It, and there again, you'd be surprised all the art you can make beyond a snowman and a snow angel. One artist I love to show the children at this point is Andy Goldsworthy. He's a British artist. He must be in his late 60s now. And he's done a lot of extraordinary ephemeral land artworks with snow and ice and figuring out how to prop up the icicles horizontally from playing with the cold temperatures to make something stick and of course then gets transformed over time as the next day the sun rises and things melt and become another kind of artwork with the kids we work doing that and there again the creativity is really impressive that comes out of these children doing things that are just so out of the box snowballs in a in up in a tree and carving in the snow yeah with the spring around the corner we'll work more with the blooming and the vegetation growing so we'll be able to get more into weaving i discourage in my lessons picking flowers and leaves and breaking branches off the trees the point always is to not harm living matter or disturb natural habitats. But for instance, dandelions, which are quite abundant, an abundant plant, they're wonderful to work with. There's so many things you can do with them. You can rub the flower to make yellow and orange, or you can weave with them, you can hang them to dry, you can press them. So all sorts of different uses and creations come up. And of course, you can also eat them. So we get at that point, that's the thing, the conversations emerge naturally as we're doing the activity. So at that point, we would get into the edibility of some plants, uh, the medicinal properties. And that's the idea that all this contributes to the children having an appreciation and respect for their environment and a creative relationship with it. And so they gain a consciousness of how everything is interconnected themselves included yeah it really sounds like a wonderful opportunity to help yeah help reconnect to nature i think or mm -hmm. connect, I don't know, reconnect <laughs> if all yeah. yeah children have an opportunity to do that with your very academic background how has art and being in nature been helpful to you in your life and how do you think it can benefit people in our community uh in so many ways. Me as an anthropologist, I've always been fascinated with how human beings make sense of themselves and their place in the world. And uh, here in the US, I'm often struck how the earth or the soil is referred to dirt. I learned British English. And so until I came to the US, I, I had never heard of the term dirt to refer to earth. This, I think, says a lot about how, about the, the certain relationship that we have to Earth. Mm -hmm. And another thing that strikes me often is how animals get referred to as he. The male is basically the general attribute. <laughs> I also I find that quite weird. In British English, we use the neutral it until we really know what sex gender it is. 
So again, the way we refer to something determines how we can appreciate it or not, how we appreciate what's there. So when this happens, for instance, I'd like to challenge the children a little bit. So for instance, when I hear them talk about he, I tell them, for instance, about the earthworm, which is vital to compost. How actually, did you know that the earthworm has both male and female reproductive organs? And that usually blows their mind. But yeah, to ask them more directly, your question is art and being in nature are just so helpful for discovering other ways of seeing and understanding the world. And they help to they help you to gain awareness of things that you might not do so otherwise. Like I mentioned earlier, art helped me growing up to look at things around me with fresh eyes. It, it, it art sensitizes you to to your surroundings and to pay attention. It's not for nothing that it was the beautiful photographs and paintings that contributed to a realization of the need to preserve certain natural areas from urban encroachment, like the national, the Yosemite National Park. Mm-hmm. So um, art and being in nature are helpful for gaining more awareness about yourself as well as being part of your environment. It requires you to think outside the box and to unleash your creativity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of late, especially since COVID, there's been so much, there's been a lot of research confirming that being out in nature and exposed to art are fundamental to mental health because they stimulate mindfulness and peace of mind. Mm-hmm. And I observe this all the time with the children doing eco art. So often at the beginning, when I take them outside, I, I can feel their reticence, but quickly, and that's what's so beautiful. They do, they unfold, they run around, they explore, they forage, and their enthusiasm soars as they acquaint themselves with their environment. Excuse me. It's also interesting, I think, to help people, children, to receive a balance of left brain and right brain hemisphere kind of activities. And when you're really in a right brain experience, like art and things like that, it can be such a wonderful experience. I know that I've experienced that personally, and I'm sure many people have as well. And our typical education tends to be very left-brained. So I think it's wonderful that you're helping children to reconnect with that right aspect as well. Yes. Yes, that's the thing. And also how it's not necessarily separate things, but there's so much science in art and art in science. And it helps to work with those two sides of the brain precisely to to understand things as well as yourself much, much more holistically, basically. Yeah. yeah. I think just even examining so many things in nature, there, there's just so much innate beauty and we don't often just take a chance to really look at things closely. So I think that's wonderful that you really... Yes, that's that. the thing also in the end is the idea with the eco art is that it really invites you to see beauty in very simple things. And uh, and another thing which is, I think, very liberating about eco-art is that it's, you can do it in complete simplicity in the sense that you don't need to have money. You don't need all this stuff. It's all out there already waiting for you to discover it and to work with it. So what types of class activities have you been holding lately and what kind do you plan to hold and offer in the future. I just finished 
know, three, four months long series of lessons at High Desert, at the Charter Montessori School, northeast of downtown Reno. And this was thanks to an artist project grant from the Nevada Arts Council. And also in the recent past, I was working with other, there's so many great organizations here in Reno. So the Nevada Humanities, I taught some eco art workshops with them and Arts for All Nevada at the Riverside Market, a couple of times at the Discovery Museum and in the summer with Farmelly. But the, for me, the most important thing is to reach out to those children and families who do not or cannot have the natural environment on their radar. And so my mission is to find more funding in order to go to them. So I am focusing on getting my lessons as, as much as possible in public schools. Now that I've finished this uh, series of le lessons at High Desert, I'm going to be focusing more on, on finding more funds to teach in the schools in the next school year. And until then, I'm focusing... I recently published a story for children. Basically, the story is the story of a child who spends her time playing by the Truckee River and discovers something special that will be with her always. So I'll be doing readings of that book over the next few months. Uh, so the next one will be at Sundance Bookstore on April 8th and then at the Radical Cat on April 22nd. And then I'll go to Winnemucca at the end of the month to give a, a reading and at the Humboldt Museum and always I'm, I do a, I accompany the reading with a an eco art workshop so I'll do that before the reading just to get the children and their carers in the into that mindset it almost seems like it would be wonderful for you to bring aspects of nature into places where like when you're in a public school and recess environment might be very sterile and concrete and and bring some of that nature with you. Yeah, I also I'm, I want to. I'm in the process of writing up my eco art lessons so that there's a, a kind of curriculum that for any interested people or teachers that they can also use that. And like you say, yes, Jen, you need it, it. You don't necessarily have to be in a super natural area to to do that kind of activity. Just a little, for a start, being outside makes a big difference. These activities sound like a wonderful accompaniment to a spring day camp or a summer day camp, things like that as well. Yeah. So do you have any favorite books, films, or podcasts that have been inspirational to you in this type of art that you would like to share? Your podcast, for a start, I know there's a, you haven't done anything specific on Nicolai on art but just uh, yeah so many stimulating that it's inspiring so it gives me ideas and then and transcends to the art making another podcast that i really like like yours is a sustainable mind specifically for eco art i haven't really found one but there's this there's this podcast by insights of an eco artist by joanna alarsau and she has fascinating interviews with different artists working more in the realm of social environmental justice. So some might be specifically eco-artists, but not all. But that's been very exciting to discover. Nice. Yeah, I have lots of favorite books. Right now I'm reading 
Islands with No Trees. I highly recommend this book. Absolutely beautifully written. The author is Elif Shafak. I believe she's British-Turkish. And it's a story of love on the conflict-ridden island, conflict island of Cyprus. And But she so has a lot of beautiful insights on human emotions and human relations. But she also gets the a fig tree to talk and express its feelings and observations of how us human behave how us humans behave and it's and how us humans ignore the complexity of the world and so the fig tree really teaches us some lessons another book i like to pick up regularly and it's wonderful because it's these short essays by amy nizuka the book is World of Wonders in Praise of Fireflies, Whale Sharks and Other Astonishments. And it's basically essays of the fauna and flora that have marked her throughout her life. And actually, we had the privilege of Nezuka Matati came to visit Reno a few months ago during the Nevada Humanities Literary Crawl in downtown, which is an amazing event that's free to the public. Another book that I'm also reading... Uh, intermittently is uh, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And that's beautiful, Native American accounts of working with the natural environment. And recently, actually, I'm so I'm browsing through this book. Actually, I have it right here. Sharing Nature with Children by Joseph Cornell. So this was written in the 70s. But it's interesting, it has a lot of tips on how to precisely share nature with children, how to what kind of activities do with them outside that encourage mindfulness and empathy. So I'm starting to look at this. This is giving me ideas on how to develop my eco-art lessons. And yeah, so however, I would also recommend exhibits. Just thinking about how at the Nevada Museum of Art right now, they have a very interesting exhibit by the artist Adeline Kent, who drew a lot of the inspiration for her artwork from being up there in the Sierra. And the other exciting thing that's happening at the Nevada Museum of Art is that they have a collaboration going with a, an artist collective called Fallen Fruit, which will be establishing a fruit garden on the museum grounds that will be open to the public, whoever, you don't need to pay a ticket to go into the museum, whatever, just for everybody to just go and wander around the garden and pick the fruit if you want mm -hmm. and totally encouraging this, this free interaction with the fruit and vegetables and so people will be invited to glean which I find fantastic. Yeah I heard about that it's awesome yeah I think Tom Stilley is the one designing it from River School yeah it's awesome. Where can people find some of your classes coming up? I post mo all of my latest activities and upcoming events on my blog which is on my website zoebrayart.com and I'm I'm on the Nevada Arts Council teaching artists roaster so people can also find me there. Excellent and is there another organization in the community that you'd like to recommend to people interested in various forms of eco art and of course you've just mentioned a couple already is there maybe another one that you would like to note as well? Yeah, so no one's specifically doing eco-art, but a lot of wonderful organizations that are doing things with children in a natural environment. So I mentioned Farmily, 
Reno Food System, Great Basin Outdoor School, Sierra Nevada Journeys, Urban Roots, absolutely wonderful. The River School Farm, as you mentioned, they sometimes have activities and keep trucking meadows beautiful. I know they sometimes offer activities. If it's not for children, it's for teachers or they'll have teacher trainings on how to introduce nature into the classroom. So yeah, all of them should be definitely go-tos for ideas of doing activities with children outside, including art. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. I'm so feel very grateful that you were able to share this with us. And I hope many of the children in our area are able to experience this and especially children that don't get a chance to get out in nature and have those experiences. It's just such a blessing. So. Yes, it really is a blessing. And, and that's the thing. It's actually, it, it may be intimidating. I understand it can be intimidating to a lot of people who are not used to, who haven't had the privilege of growing up the way you or I have. But uh, that's what I want to do is through these lessons is to show how it's possible. It's very easy. And it's just so gratifying. For details and links mentioned in today's episode, please check out the show notes. Also, if you haven't already, subscribe at gogreenlocally.org to receive local green event monthly emails to help you stay informed about events going on in your area.